Looking to take your career or small business to the next level? Well, you've come to the right place. This is the Melissa Washington Show with your host, Melissa Washington. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Melissa Washington Show. I'm so glad you're here today um, to listen, and I am honestly extremely honored um, to have my um, special guest on here, retired Lieutenant Colonel Justin Constantine, my first Purple Heart recipient, spent 16 years in the Marine Corps. Justin, welcome. Hi there. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me on here. Yes, 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 yes. All right. We have so much to talk about, about you, the, the military, just everything. Um, so I just, you know, let's just start, we can start, um, spent 16 years in the Marine Corps, and always, you know, with the Marine Corps being the, the smallest branch, why, the, why did you want to join the Marine Corps? Yeah, I, try, I uh, was interested in joining the Marine Corps kind of early on my Father was a good friend, had been a Vietnam vet, uh, he had been a Marine, and I guess he realized his son, neither of his sons were going to join, so he started working on me in high school and convincing me it was a good thing to do, it would be good for me. And so I applied for an ROTC scholarship uh, going to college, I didn't get it, and then I, in college I still thought, okay, well maybe I can still go to Oscar Canada School, but it wasn't a good fit because I had to work two jobs in the summer to pay for college, and so I couldn't go to OCS for the summer and not really make that much money, uh, enough money to go back to school. So I thought it was a lost cause. And then uh, years later, when I was in law school, I was working at the school gym, and a friend of mine came by to say hi, and we talked a little bit. And he was leaving, and I asked him where he was going. He said, I'm going to go see the Marine Officer Selection Officer, the OCO. And I said, why? You know, we're... 26, 27 years old. Said, yeah, yeah, way too old for the Marine Corps. But he said, no, they have a program uh, to bring lawyers directly in. And I said, okay, well, tell them I'm going to come down tomorrow. And uh, that was my, during my second year of law school. And so I went down there the next day. That was on April 1st. Uh, filled out the paperwork, got it started. And I was a good fit for the for the for the application. I had been playing competitive men's rugby for a long time, lost sports. I had a good team background. I was uh, uh, chairman of the Honor Council at the law school and had held a number of leadership positions in college. So I was, I was a good fit, and they were able to get me in for that summer, and they called me a week before um, Oscar Kennedy School class started in Quantico, and they said, can you get to Virginia in a week? And I said, definitely. And I canceled my summer job uh, and packed my car and drove across the country from Colorado to Virginia, where I'm from anyway, and, and went to Oscar County School. And so I joined the Marine Corps, and um, this is back in 1997, and so I went back and finished law school and came into the Marine Corps then as a second lieutenant um, as a JAG attorney. And so I did criminal defense uh, for a year in Okinawa, Japan, and then criminal prosecution for four years out of Camp Pendleton, California. And so going back, so even let's just take a step back and further joining the military, did you always want to be a lawyer? What, uh, why that profession? What, what intrigued you about being, yeah, doing that? I wasn't sure when I wanted to start being a lawyer, but then one day I went back and I found a copy of the, my um, college admissions um, essay, and I mentioned it in there. So I, I don't remember thinking that far back. I had been on, 
you know, but I guess I had. I'd done some uh, public speaking in high school and did some debate and enjoyed that type of stuff. And in college, I was Engl I had a double major of English and political science. So it kind of made sense. Um, I had a German minor also, which didn't do anything. But uh, it turned out to be a, a you know, good preparation for law school. And I really enjoy being a lawyer. I, I, I don't do it anymore. I finished two years ago after 15 years of practice. But I, I really enjoyed it. I really like being a lawyer in the Marine Corps as well. That's awesome. So, yeah. so you, you, you go through after Kennedy School. You, you said you criminal defense, Okinawa. So, so, what, so by that time, what year are we still pre-9-11? We're still pre-9-11? Yeah, I mean, Okinawa, yes. Then when I was at Camp Pendleton, I got there in, um, no, let's see, uh, November of 2000. And then so, you know, a year later uh, was 9-11. And then I could have gotten out at that point. My commitment was up, but I stayed on for a few more years uh, out there at Camp Pendleton. My unit actually, a bunch of lawyers deployed. But uh, I couldn't go because of a knee injury, so I wasn't able to deploy until a couple years later when I was in the reserves. Got it. So then, 2006, you're then deployed to Anbar Province. Now, when we right. when we think about, or just you know, let's just think when civilians think about people being deployed, they think they don't. They probably don't think about that lawyers, ju right. judge advocates are deployed to a combat zone. So. Why does the military, why would they deploy well, a lawyer? Um, sure, and, and to be clear, when I deployed, it was not in the role of a lawyer. I was with an infantry battalion as what's called a civil affairs team leader, so I led a team of eight or nine of us, and we were attached to the infantry. But there are, uh, that battalion did have a, a lawyer, a judge advocate, as part of the command staff, and he oversaw, and this is typical at the time, each battalion had a lawyer, and they oversaw a lot of the agreements that we had with the locals as far as paying them for things we destroyed. They handled a lot of administrative issues. They helped make uh, targeting decisions for the law of war and the rules of engagement with the, with the colonel and so forth. Uh, and so they're a very valuable asset to the battalion commander or, or higher. But for me, I was I was with the with the ground folks, and our our team at Civil Affairs was to conduct uh, well, we were to make contact and contracts with the local Iraqi leadership to help rebuild the destroyed infrastructure. So stuff that you know, paving roads or maybe um, rebuilding schools or getting electricity working. We hear in the news today about the hardship mines in Afghanistan. That's the type of stuff we were working on, and stuff is very important to make a community realize that you actually do care about them and do want to help build up what, uh, instead of just destroy things. But unfortunately, in 2006, at least where we were in Alambar, it was a very kinetic environment, and it was hard to do a lot of civil affairs because we didn't have the right security, so we were still conducting a lot of um, offensive operations at the time. So you're, so you're there in Anbar province. So talk to me about what, what hap what happens? Why okay. why why you're there? Sure. Well, you know, it was an honor to be there. Uh, I, I, even though I was injured while I was there, I consider it the highlight of my career. Not many lawyers get to leave Marines in a combat environment, and that was a real growth experience for me, and uh, just to learn more about myself, but also for leadership. And uh, I had 
it's there's something special about leading Marines in that kind of environment. I got really close to my team. We did good work while we were over there. And it was it was hard work every day. It was long. It was constantly you could hear mortars, uh, weapon fire um, near you. Maybe it was going on right in front of you. And so uh, it was a tough environment, but it was um, something uh, simple about it and fulfilling as well. Now, when I was in Germany, it was during a, it was a typical day. I mean, the colonel had a full schedule for us, and we had made several stops along the way. He always wanted to check on the Marines and make sure they were doing okay. He had quite a wide uh, area of responsibility out there. And we had a reporter with us that day. He was actually in the same vehicle as I was. And I had noticed earlier on in the day that he was not moving around very much for some reason. And that's, that was a particularly bad idea because we knew there was a sniper around there. He had already killed a few of our Marines. We, we actually had counter uh, sniper teams out looking for him. He was quite good. And we got out of our vehicle at one of the stops and started walking away from it. And the reporter told me this later. I said to him, hey, Jay, you need to move quicker here. Uh, don't forget about that sniper. We don't want you to get injured. And he said, based on that, he took a big step forward. And um, a split second later, a round came in, right, a bullet came in right where his head had been and hit the wall between us. Uh, and then before I could react, the next round came in and hit me right behind my left ear and exploded out of my mouth, causing incredible damage. So that's how I was injured. So that happened. And then, of course, you know, you've got the the medics there, the corpsmen take care of you, you're right. Yeah, I'd be happy to describe that because uh, this is Corpsman George Grant, who is a true hero. Um, and what he did was nothing short of incredible. The Marines are around me because of all the blood and because I've been shot in the head. Somehow, you know, I had, of course, I have my Kevlar helmet and the black jacket with the neck guard. And there's only about couple inches space uh, of exposed neck area was somehow the sniper hit me right there. But um, and so they thought naturally I had been killed, but uh, George was able to perform rescue breathing on me, even though the bullet came out of my mouth. And then he was able to cut out my throat and perform an emergency tracheotomy so I wouldn't drown my own blood. And this is while the sniper was still shooting at the rest of the Marines. In fact, he shot the Marine behind me also. And uh, George is wearing 65 pounds of protective armor, like we all were that summer, so very cumbersome. And it was over 100 degrees because it was in October in Iraq. And um, it wasn't a hostile environment. There was dirt and sand and dust and rocks everywhere. He was, and he had never done this surgery on a human being before. He had done it once uh, on a pig in a controlled training environment. So I guess I'm a lot like a pig because, uh, you know, he was able to keep me alive. And so it's pretty, pretty <laughs> incredible what he was able to do. You know? um, but then also, and, and the Colonel, Colonel Grosse was a part of that as well, a big part of that. And then the, then the third person was Corporal Jordan Bueller, who who also risked his life to save me. And, and in fact, I met up with Jordan just a few weeks ago when we were both in Chicago, so that it was, it was pretty cool. But at that time in Iraq, we only drove 15 miles an hour everywhere we went because there were so many of the roadside bombs and the IEDs uh, everywhere we went. We lost a lot of Marines from the, from the bombs. Um, if you go faster than 15 miles an hour everywhere, you, um, we, we learned that you would uh, dramatically increase 
the chances of causing a vehicle to flip end over end and probably kill everyone inside it. So we always drove very slowly. But Jordan drove 70 miles an hour to get down roads where we knew there could be IEDs to get me to the aid station in an effort to stabilize me. Uh, what they call the golden hour, which is so important after a traumatic injury. And he did that knowing full well he would die if he hit an IED going that fast. Um, and so between George and Jordan and Colonel Grossier, I'm still here. And, you know, that they're the real heroes of that day. Amazing. So you, you get back, you know, we'll, we'll just, let's just skip some stuff. When you get back, you finally get back. I, do you go to Walter Reed? Where, where, where are you at when you come back to the States? Yeah, first, you know, I was in Atlanta School in Germany for four yeah. days, and then, and then Bethesda, which is now called Walter Reed because they combined, but then it was a separate Navy uh, naval station in Bethesda where all the uh, Navy or sailors and Marines go. And so I was there, uh, but only, I was only an inpatient there. Uh, let's see, for about five weeks, which is kind of incredible considering the amount of damage I've been through. But um, I, my house actually was not too far away from there. It was like 25 minutes away from there. And so that was very fortunate. And the doctors and nurses knew that once they took care of the, you know, my first surgery was 19 hours long. They took bones from my legs to use in reconstructing my upper and lower jaw. I had a number of, you know, surgeries one after the other to, um, just to start rebuilding my face and reconstructing my mouth. But w once it got to a certain point where I could walk around and I was able to talk, I wasn't able to talk for weeks because of swelling my head and, and the doctors didn't know, my family didn't know if uh, George had accidentally cut my vocal cord when he did that trick out of me. But once the swelling came down, I could start talking. And, and, they, and they said, you know what, you'll get better quicker if you go home and can sleep at home because in the hospital it's very difficult to sleep. Uh, at all, and and so that's what that's what happened. Um, this is probably a good time to talk about my wife. Who was, Absolutely, uh, I definitely want to talk about Dahlia because I want to talk about you and her. So you 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 uh, we, had a relate. You she was your girlfriend when you right, left. She was my girlfriend. We met. We met. Dahlia was in California. We met early in the year in 2006. We were both randomly in the same Spanish immersion program in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Wow. We both, yeah, we had both signed up for this class. Yeah. We both signed up for this class. There were only four of us in the class. We, and I'm from Virginia. We hit it off really well, spent a lot of time together there during that three weeks, dated that whole summer um, um, back in the States, long distance, that so we would visit each other for uh, days at a time, we went on vacation together, and then able, we were able to keep in touch almost every day, even in Iraq, mostly through email, but certainly through care packages and letters, and sometimes satellite phone call as well. And, you know, I went to Lyon School of Germany on the way back, and typically service members don't get visitors there because it's so far away, but Dahlia was, she, when I went to Iraq, she had started she went to England and started a PhD program at University of Cambridge there, or Cambridge University. So she was able to get over to Germany pretty easily and be there with me. And after four days, when the doctor said it was time to send me back to the States, um, Dolly decided to drop, at least temporarily, drop out of her program and come be with me in the hospital, okay. which is really quite incredible because... Absolutely. Um, you know, there's a lifelong year of hers to go there, and she didn't know anyone in that part of the country. And, and frankly, the doctors weren't even sure if I was going to survive 
when it happened to me because most people don't survive that injury. In fact, I talked to the doctors who operated on me in Iraq recently, and they told me uh, that they developed some protocols based on what they did with me because up until then they hadn't seen anyone survive this type of injury. So, um, Golly put everything on hold, came back to, to Virginia and Maryland with me, and then and then was a critical part of my recovery. You know, she uh, not many people have someone like that there who who loves them and is going to provide the level of care that she did. And that was amazing. And when they said they could send me back to back to my house, she had learned how to clean my mouth and to do all the um, just a daily maintenance, which was required for, for my recovery. And so I could spend all day sleeping on the couch, or we could just hang out together, or maybe go walk in a park or something, which was just that kind of uh, quiet, and, and just being around people who care was a big, big part of my recovery. It was all because of Dahlia. And, and that's so important, too, to bring up as far as having that person that is, it, in a, if she's your caregiver. I mean, not only that, she... Right was your girlfriend, then she became your wife, right? Yeah, that's right. She, uh, that, so that was back in 2006, and I proposed her in 2007, actually at the uh, Marine Corps Memorial at, uh, at, at, in Arlington. Uh, and then we got married in 2008. And Lovely. so we just celebrated yeah, our seven-year anniversary. It's taken a long time, but now finally we just moved up to New York because Dahlia was accepted into the PhD program at Columbia University, um, so it's not Cambridge, but this is this is where hey. she did her master. So well, congratulations really, to her. That's 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 awesome. Yeah, so it, I, I'm I'm super proud of her. It took us nine years to get back on track with that, but she, you know, she put it all on the side to help me get better and, and be my caregiver. And that that's the thing I really want to mention to your listeners: they recognize how important caregivers are to to our wounded warriors and just to injured people in general. Is you don't really think about it until you have to go through it, and having a caregiver who who really is there in your corner just makes a critical difference in your recovery. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, sounds like an amazing person. And you were, yeah. there was a reason that you guys met in Argentina. Yeah, I, I think so. And, and <laughs> we, we've, had inc- we've had an incredible time. You know, we lived in Arlington. She's a, she's a school teacher, so she taught third grade at a school right around the corner from us. And she, you know, last year she was teacher of the year in Arlington. And so she's done extremely well. And now we're up in New York and, and so we're able to uh, just move here and, and pick up and come here and, and it's been great. We have a great apartment and we're just half a mile from the university, so that's good. As far as I'm concerned, and, you know, I have several businesses up here and, and so business development is great in New York. And so we really like it up here. I love it. Yeah. So, so talk to me about you. You know, during you know during this time, what what are you thinking? Are you thinking, okay, my Marine Corps career is ended? My, you know, I can't. I'm not going to be. Yeah. I can get out of the military. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to be confined to a couch. I mean, what are you thinking? What are, what's going through yeah. your mind? Certainly, early on, I mean, my you know my head was really swollen. I, I looked a mess. Uh, I couldn't. I couldn't because of the, they took bones to my legs. I couldn't drive. I couldn't walk. I was in a wheelchair for a while and I had crutches for months. And so it was it was different. We didn't go out and eat in public for a year because I had no teeth and I just made a huge mess. It was so embarrassing. 
But then over time, I had more surgeries, and I was able to, after a year, my mobilization orders were expired. So I went back to work, and I worked for Department of Justice, and I had a position that I had wanted earlier on, actually, coming out of the Marine Corps, but I didn't get it. But it's called, it was with the Office of Immigration Litigation. So I was working on immigration stuff, and it was appellate work. So it meant no, no um, trial work, but mostly just writing briefs, which was perfect for me because talking was so difficult for me, but I still could do the work. And so it was, that was a great job. I was able to do that, and I just kind of decided, you know, I, I certainly had some uh, tough moments and dark days. I went to counseling for post-traumatic stress for a year and a half and, and just had a lot of talks with Dolly about it and just kind of, I don't know if it was the Marine training or who I was before that, but I just kind of decided that, you know, I need to make a list of things I want to do. Time is, or life can can change in a second. It can be over in a second. I want to engage in things that are important to me. And so I said, I'm going to try to stay in the Marine Corps, uh, until, at least until I'm better and, and see, how, see what I can do. And I did stay in for, so I was injured in 2006. I just retired in 2013. So I stayed in for another seven years. And, and I'm a limited duty status, but I was the undergraduate in my command staff college because I wanted to do well. I want to prove to myself I could still do this type of work. And, you know, I got some awards and got promoted uh, to lieutenant colonel. So it, it was certainly um, I could never deploy again because I can't see out of one eye and I can't run because I'm missing the bones in my legs. But I could still contribute to a certain extent to the mission. And then at some point I, I was a little frustrated just because I would always be on limited duty and, and couldn't really leave Marines the way I wanted to until I medically retired uh, a couple years ago. But on, on a high note, really. Oh, absolutely. And, so, so, yeah. you make, so you're starting to make this list, right, of things that you yeah. want to do. So, and you get into entrepreneurship. What, what brought you to that? I mean, what, what, yeah. what was it about entrepreneurship? Uh, well, I, I stuck around. I was, I was a lawyer in the federal government for, for a few years, a few more years. I worked on Capitol Hill and then with the FBI on the counterterrorism team for a couple of years. But then I, I was asked to come and start speaking at different events. And I did, uh, this is while I was still um, with the federal government. And it was, the speaking events went well. I, I spent a lot of time on my presentations and people really liked hearing a message. And I was also getting involved with a lot of different wounded warrior groups and, and veteran groups in general. And I thought, you know what, it, it sure would be nice if I could work for myself and be in total control of my schedule and just do what I want to do. Uh, because I think a lot of um, wounded warriors in particular, we've gone through something where, that was totally out of our control. And so we want to control as much as we can now, not in a crazy micromanage way, but just for quality of life purposes. And so I, I kept working until I felt like I had built up a business that would be able to support to support us. And, and then so I left and I said, I, I want to be an entrepreneur. And that was two years ago. And I can't say enough good things about uh, the life of an entrepreneur once you have set yourself uh, right to have money coming in. Uh, of course, it's very, it's very hard work. It's very challenging. But everything I work on day in, day out is for me. And I'm going to live or die by the work that I do, which is completely different if you're working for someone else. Absolutely. 
So when you're when you're on entrepreneurship, you've already had started speaking. So what right. what were you thinking? Where as far as your business, did you think, okay, this is going to be my yeah. business, a, a professional speaker? Did you have ideas for other um, yeah, you know, I, products I thought, or services? Sure. I, and, and, you know, a number of people came to me with different ideas and things I could do. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to – I was a trial attorney back in the Marine Corps. I, I enjoy talking to groups of people. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be an inspirational seeker, and we'll take it from there. And so, you know, I, I've, I've been doing that for two years now. Um, but really, I'm just getting started. I've had, I've, I've had some great clients. I'm making a good living off of it. Um, but now I'm taking a speaker series, uh, education series, and realizing just how much more there is I could be doing and all the processes I could be doing. But this is a natural progression for an entrepreneur. You learn more and more about the business the more you're exposed to it. So it's very exciting to me, and I've met some incredible people through the speaking. Uh, and now I, just, I also just wrote a book about leadership, and so I'm, I'm pivoting to doing corporate leadership development also, which is similar to speaking because a lot of times when I do speaking, I'm invited to come and talk about leadership, and so now I'm, I'm really starting to focus more and more on helping train mid-level managers, which is kind of where I was in the Marine Corps, but people who worked hard and were promoted in corporate America but never really learned how to lead people along the way. So that's what my book focuses on. That's what my corporate leadership development is going to focus on as well. And who did you reach out to? So, you know, did you have mentors? Did you have organizations? So starting this, were there, were there people, organizations you reached out to? Yeah, there were. Um, for instance, I went to an entrepreneurship course at Syracuse University called the Entrepreneurship Bootcamp for Veterans with Disabilities, or EVV as it's known. That's, that's at Syracuse, and now they have it at maybe seven other universities around the country. And it was about a two-month online program and then I think nine days in person up at the university with 30 other winter warriors on the nuts and bolts of getting a business off the ground with uh, classes from professors, classes from experts from Fortune 100 companies, and people telling um, classes on mistakes they had made. And so that, that was very helpful. Uh, but then... And then more recently, just this past summer, I went to a, almost a one-month-long course at Stanford University called Stanford Ignite, which is for veterans who have their own businesses or are thinking about creating their own startups. And there's a certain technology um, aspect to it since it's out there in Silicon Valley. So those are two um, academic institutions I've gone to, which are very helpful. But really, you mentioned reaching out to individuals or associations and so or organizations. And so... You know, it's all it's all about relationships, and it's all about creating your networks. And so when I, I first got, started doing uh, my presentations, and I'm on the board of Window Warrior Project, and on our on our website there, they have a page for the board members. And in my bio, there's a link to my website. And a business owner was looking for a seeker. He saw he saw my name, clicked on, saw my website, and called me and said, "Hey, you want to come be our speaker at our annual event down here in Dallas?" And I said, sure, it went fantastic. And then I asked him to help me start marketing. And he said, well, you know, we're a Blackstone company. We're owned by the private equity firm Blackstone. Why don't you and I go up to New York and meet with them and talk with um, some of them about maybe they could help you? I said, that sounds fantastic. And so we went up there, talked with a gentleman up there who's um, the main point of contact for about 15 minutes. And he said he had been in the Coast Guard. And he said, well, how can, how can we help you, Justin? I said, 
I just want some exposure. I have a great message that's well-received by these corporate clients. But I have trouble getting my message out there. He said, would it help if you spoke to our annual leadership conference in front of the CEOs of our 75 portfolio companies? And I said, well, yeah, that, that would help. That would help quite a lot. Yeah, probably just a little. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. So I wrote a speech about leadership called Officers Eat Last. Uh, and they also wanted to talk about the value of hiring veterans because they were starting their veteran hiring initiative. So I got a standing ovation from 75 CEOs, some major, major corporations. And since then, I've been hired by a, a number of them and have been able to leverage a lot of their recommendations and testimonials into other uh, paid events. And so that, that's just one example of how one kind of a random uh, meeting at first was, you know, we were able to turn it into something very powerful. And so to your question about how, how you get started, and so that, that's really, it's about networking or relationships and providing value, uh, direct value to people and help them in their business. And so when I seek at these annual events, I spend a lot of time about how um, individuals can can be motivated to work more and, uh, or, or to do more and work smarter and overcome adversity in the workplace and at home, and my thoughts on how, how anyone can be a better leader in the workplace. And so it's, it's, you know, it's growing. It's, it started as a tiny business. Now I'm doing better, but there's always room to grow. And for any entrepreneur or any person who's out there thinking about being an entrepreneur, I would say uh, don't expect to be a millionaire overnight. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, but um, that being said, the sky's the limit. And I would, I would like what, what I did, I started my business. I already, I was working full time at the FBI and had permission to work on the side. So I had money coming in while I was growing my business. And it wasn't until I felt it was sustainable did I start doing it full time. And, and that, that's been a good practice for me and, and for some other entre- new entrepreneurs I know as well. So I think that's a good tactic to, to employ. Yeah. So, so what are your speaking topics? What are you? What do you usually speak? Or do you have like yeah. names or um, for your different keynotes that you do? Yeah, typically, um, more and more now, I'm asked to talk about leadership. But I also talk about uh, some main topics. I talk about are overcoming adversity, and uh, and there's you know different subsets to that, and then also the upside, the upside of change. A lot, you know. Any, name a company, they're going to change of some sort, whether it's a big merger, whether it's a new system, whether it's a different platform, their employees are struggling with adapting to change. And so I talk to a lot of groups about that. And sometimes I'm, I'm asked to do, even um, graduations and being being a, a secret there, like I, a couple years ago I spoke at the James Madison University, where I went to college in Virginia, I spoke at one of their graduation ceremonies. It was my 20th anniversary, I think. So it was, uh, you know, 25th. So that was kind of that was kind of cool. And then uh, just last week, I spoke down in Virginia at the Fairfax County Criminal Justice Academy, where all the sheriff, local sheriffs and law enforcement officers have to go. Because a friend of mine is a sheriff there, and so I do some of those. Those are typically free. Uh, as are some of the veteran groups I speak to or to wish free as well. I do a, a fair amount of pro bono work. Uh, but typically my uh, speeches are, are corporate corporate events, uh, and, uh, as I said, leadership, overcoming adversity, and the upside of change. And now that I've written the book and I'm doing corporate leadership development, I'm going to start having a lot of events where it's a book signing and, and something revolving around my books. 
So let's so let's talk about your book and you know and I'm an author too and I think that's too part of entrepreneurship or we're I don't like to use the word reinvent anymore I like reengineer right we're always making changes because you know speaking yeah. has led to your book right so exactly what is what what's what's the book called the book is called My Battlefield Your Office you My Battlefield Your Office yeah. and when are we when are you looking at a release date for your book uh, soon I'm I'm uh, in the final final discussions with a publisher right now. So um, it's going to be early in 2016. So it's my battlefield, your office, leadership lessons from the front lines. And, uh, you know, I've got great testimonials right there on the front, front cover. I've gotten endorsements from General Pace, who was a uh, former chairman of Joint Chief of Staff. And I've got maybe 15 or 20 endorsements from you know, Secretary, I mean, Senator Dole to Bob Woodruff to CEOs and business professors, people I've met who looked at the book, and, and then like, it's not a hard read. It's maybe 170 pages, 15 chapters. Each one is about different aspects of leadership, which I think are important, whether you're leading a, a small team or a whole division. And, but really, the underlying message that goes throughout most of it is uh, taking care of your people has to be your number one priority. And that's what we learned in the military from day one, and, and I think that's it's a good lesson for anybody. Absolutely. And your book will be on Amazon. You'll yep, have it on your is. website, justinconstantine.com. People can find that on there early 2016. That's right. Thank you. Yep. Absolutely. And also, too, if, you know, if listeners are interested in um, bringing you on as a speaker, they can go to justinconstantine.com, and I see yep. if you have a link on there to hire you to contact you um, directly. Um, if you're right. on Facebook, you're on LinkedIn, you're on Twitter. So yeah, I always just, you know, just Google Justin Constantine yeah. and you will come up. Yeah, if you, if, and if you Google me, you'll see I've, I've written a lot of articles. This year I had some some good progress in the articles. I, I'm working with a woman named Allison Beckwith who has helped me with PR. And so some of the articles I wrote were in Time, Time.com, and the Washington Post. Uh, recently, I had one on uh, Marine Corps Times interview me. We had a great article there, and as you and I discussed earlier, I did a TED Talk recently. So I'm I really starting to get some good things published. I'm going to try it. Military.com is bringing me on to write some blogs about leadership, and so I really enjoy the writing aspect to it, uh, and so I'm, I'm trying to do a lot more of it in the future. That's great. So you've got the speaking. You've got the book. What's next for you? Okay. Well, um I have, I have two other two other things I'm pushing forward on. One is a, a small company that two other Marine officers and I started very recently called Veteran Integration Solutions. And we work with a nonprofit out in San Diego called PsychArmor, which, and that's PsychArmor, one word, psycharmor.org. And they provide mental health resources to employers who hire veterans and may have questions about accommodation plans or any, any questions about post-traumatic stress or traumatic brains or anything like that. So they're a, they're a fantastic resource for employers, and they have a, a number, dozens and dozens of webinars on their website um, that, that people can watch to learn more. And one, one of those, one section of those is about um, for companies that hire veterans on how to do it, how to read a resume, how to interview a veteran, how to retain veterans, how to create a military-friendly work environment, all sorts of those. And so I teach one of those webinars. So, but my two friends and I, Brian and Scott, we started this company 
to work with PsychArmor to then go and provide live workshop training for companies that maybe want to hire veterans that don't know how to do it or are you trying to do it and they're kind of struggling. And so we come in and provide a full day of workshop training and really help them. We do a detailed analysis of what's going on in that company and uh, provide them a, a you know, 20 or 30 page report and then provide a full day of training on whatever is most necessary for them. So that's kind of exciting because we're helping veterans get jobs uh, through that. So, wow. so that's about, yeah. So that, that's one thing, and I also um, I guess I had two other things I want to talk about. Uh, I work I work part time at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Their their program is called Hiring Our Heroes, and the team that my team there is called the Wounded Veteran and Caregiver Program, and we focus on employment for wounded veterans and caregivers. So. It's HiringOurHeroes.org is the website there, and, and one thing that your listeners might be interested in, whether they're uh, civilians or service members, is that uh, they have a resume engine. It's called, and that website's ResumeEngine.org, and service members and military spouses and veterans can type in their resumes there and upload it. I think 8,000 veterans currently have resumes there, and hundreds, no, thousands of employers are using it. They can search the resumes for free, and and use filters like by geography or by skill set to find veterans who are looking for jobs. And, and they're really doing a great job of connecting people there. So that, that's a good resource uh, for employment. But um, the last thing is that a friend of mine, Scott Davidson, and I co-founded a nonprofit this year, and that's called the Veteran Success Resource Group. And what we do, we've had three events in New York this year, and, and starting early next year, we're going to start doing it nationally, is we don't provide a single service, except we bring together in local communities for free for about three or four hours, uh, maybe 150 or 200 veterans at a time. Uh, last event was in Brooklyn, for instance. And we, it, looks, it looks like a hiring fair because everyone has booth space, table space. And we have... Due to our connections, we have probably 20 veteran service organizations there, maybe half a dozen universities who have different programs for vets, maybe 10 or 12 government agencies, local and national, that either are hiring veterans or have um, programs to help vets or their families, and then maybe 20 businesses that want to hire vets, they want to include veteran-owned businesses in their supply chain, or they just want to con connect um, and do some matchmaking. And so we have these events, and this way, because the internet can be crowded and loud and noisy, and this way the vets and their families can go there for three or four hours, learn some, learn about all the programs that are all around them in their city, go home with a bunch of business cards, a bunch of information, and then they can, they can find the help and care they need. This, this is based on education, housing, health, uh, employment, and entrepreneurship. And so... It's gotten great feedback. We were featured on CBS. We're starting a webinar series at Dun & Bradstreet. So we're having a lot of good success early on just because we saw that, you know, it's great to have 40,000 nonprofits out there that do stuff for vets. But if you can't reach out and touch them and learn who they are, it really doesn't help a lot. And so we're, we're trying to make a difference in that way. You are quite busy. <laughs> yeah, busy. <laughs> Busy, but all, it's all great stuff. I meet great people. It's fun. A lot of it's veteran-related, um, and I'm just, you know, I, I found the, the more opportunity I had to talk to people, I realized people want to help, and so I, I try to help others too, and that's what makes it go around. 
Absolutely. No, and and that's the thing too about being an entrepreneur. If you love what you do, it's not work, right? It's just it, it really isn't. Like right? I, I'm gonna, yeah, and one thing that's challenging is finding ways to outsource the stuff so you can really focus on what's important and what what's really in your wheelhouse. Um, for instance, I'm I ordered 50 of my own books to send to people who either wrote testimonials for it or who I want to read it for business development. And so, is that the smartest thing in the world for me to spend three hours getting those envelopes ready and the cards and the books? Maybe not, but if I could outsource it to someone, I, I, I would, and maybe I will do that. Maybe there's a veteran here who, who needs to work. Um, but I'm a one-man show for now, and so I'll probably end up doing it. And uh, But that, that's a good thing because as an entrepreneur, you know exactly what's going on with every aspect of your business, and you just have to keep a running list of ideas that come to your head of things that need work, whether it's your that's website that. or your, you know, your LinkedIn page or whatever it is, just Keep a list, and guess what? You're going to be working on on the weekend. No, I yep. Yeah. I, I I can relate. I yes, can relate. Can. Yes. Well, fantastic talking to you. I mean, this is amazing. I, I need to get you back on because I mean, I uh, there's so much more I know that you have to share. Um, but just to sure. get back to um, the listeners, JustinConstantine.com, best way to reach out to you because you've got all your information. I'm listed right. on there um, as well about hiring you, learning more about um, your story, you've got your book. I mean, all that information um, is on there. Right. And, again, very truly honored um, to have talked to you. Thank you so much um, for your service, you know, Semper Fi. And <laughs> also to your wife, Dahlia, because I'm also a, a Marine Corps wife too. And, you know, and so much, you know, again, caregivers, spouses lot we go so unrecognized too and also you know the in a sense the the unsung heroes of of the guys that helped you and a lot of times people don't focus on that either um too and and i'm so glad that you not just you you said their names i mean right i mean i know you're so appreciative what they did and 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 that's honestly i mean when you're telling me that i mean i just teared up and, and when you talked about your wife too because that's and then that just shows too, as far as your your, your character and, and who you are. Um, oh, well, thank you, no. Melissa. And, 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 oh, you know, I, I talk about Dahlia and George and Jordan almost in every presentation I give. In fact, when I mentioned that uh, I saw Jordan recently at an event in Chicago because he lives there now, and I invited him to come over to where I was seeking to an association. And so he was. This is the first time. You know, I've given hundreds of speeches now, but he was in the back of the room, and so I was able to say to the audience when I was talking about what he did that day, I was able to say, "Hey, I want to take a second to go off script and just to point out that Jordan's here with us in the room. You know, there he is, and he immediately got a long, staying, heartfelt. Wow. It, it was. It was. You know, it brought tears to my eyes. Yeah, I'm tearing up right now just thinking that's, yeah, Yeah, it it was so cool. And then um, I did a TED Talk a few weeks ago, and I was, you know, again, I talked about George hundreds of times, but in that that environment when I was talking about him, I started getting choked up, and I had to try to get my composure back and not screw up the TED Talk. But even though, (laughs) you know, it's been nine years, and I talked about it many, many times, but these... Uh, these guys, and obviously Dahlia too, will hold a, a very special place in my heart because, um, you know, I'm only here because of them. And they, I didn't know them very well. They were, they would say they were just doing their job, but they sure did a whole lot more than that in my book. Yeah. yeah. Well, 
Justin, there's there's a reason that you're here, and there's a reason mm-hmm. that you're here to continue to help ins- inspire other people. And uh, thank I mean, you. Gr- granted, you know, tragedy happens, but it's also too what you do with that. Um, it is. You're right. And you could have said just you know f life and not do anything. Right. But you're, right? right. I mean, you can't. Right. You know. And so now you, you're you're taking all that um, experience and training that you know that the Marine Corps has given you also too, as far as you know, being a lawyer, yeah. having all that, and um, you know, and yeah. inspiring people, and I and I'm very um, inspired by what you're doing and what you're continuing to do. And I, again, um, I'm looking forward to continuing to to stay in touch with you. Um, yeah, that sounds fantastic. Too as well, and so it, too, it's all about networking and building relationships. And I know you had mentioned that in our conversation earlier, and that's what um, that's what that's what we're actually we're. Yep. Well, good. Well, again, thank you, thank you. Um, so much and for, again justinconstantine.com also too this will be posted um, of course on my website melissawashington.com and again Justin thank you so much and, and thank Dahlia too as well I will my pleasure all right Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Melissa Washington Show. Branding, career transitioning, marketing, you name it, she's got you covered. Head on over to melissawashington.com to stay up to date and get access to past shows. We'll see you next time.